0: Welcome to this week's episode. Are you looking for an easy way to say thank you to members for the holidays this year? Or maybe you'd like to send something special when a new member joins this quarter. It does not have to be expensive or difficult to show members that you're glad they've become part of your community. I've just released a new digital care package that I think you'll love because I personally curated the perfect content for this season of gratitude and giving. You can find the Care Package and place your order at joyofmembership.com slash care package. This week's guest is Amy Hager, a consultant who provides strategy and support for community-centric organizations. Amy's inspiration and foundation for starting her own company is built from her in-depth experiences in the broadcasting, publishing, nonprofit, technology, and consulting industries. In our interview, you'll hear her talk about what joy she finds in community building and providing guidance to a variety of organizations, helping them improve their internal strategies and external voice. Like many in the association industry, Amy didn't start her career in the space and instead says she kind of fell into it. So a fun fact about Amy that I did not realize when I did her interview was that she was at one time both a race car driver and a radio DJ. So... I'm going to have to tuck that little factoid away in my brain and ask her about that sometime. What's important for today is to know that Amy has found a common thread in all that she's done through the years, and that is building a community. Hey, Amy, thanks for being with us today. I'm so glad to have you here on the podcast. Thanks. I'm really excited too. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Awesome. So let's start with you just kind of telling the listeners who you are and who you help. Yeah, definitely.
1: So I have landed in this beautiful place where I get to help nonprofits and entrepreneurs because I've really discovered there are so many community-centric driven people in this world. And to be able to support both types has just been a joy, but I have spent the last 15 years as a full-time employee at either an association or a nonprofit or a chamber, anywhere from executive director to COO, operations, business, doing marketing, communications events. I mean, you know what it is, Joy. We wear every single hat possible as an association staff person.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And it sounds like you really get into the the detail of running an association. So you understand the um, issues that many of the listeners are probably facing with their organizations. Yeah, most definitely. Recently, you and I spoke briefly about the existence of communities within a community. Can Mm -hmm. you share what you mean by that and perhaps give a couple of examples?
1: Yeah. One thing I've found in the organizations that I loved to work with the most is when this kind of organically happens. And it's either, I can tie it to either like a big disruptor happening in the industry, or let's say a global pandemic. (laughs) And so I want to take you back a few years ago when this website called Airbnb came around and I was the executive director of the Bed and Breakfast Association of Virginia. And, you know, it was interesting because we were one of the longest running state associations in the B&B industry. This started a real long time ago. And all of a sudden to have these people just pop up and open their homes to travelers, the members were either up in arms or they were willing to really embrace it and figure out how to work with it because they knew it wasn't going away. And so what we ended up doing is we kind of formed, like, I guess you would describe it as micro-volunteering for the better good of the industry, because not everybody understood the legalities behind it, let alone having to write state regulations around it, and also how this huge technology corporation was coming into the hospitality industry, and so we were able to form kind of this smaller community within our larger b association and really had those subject matter experts, someone who actually used to sit and write law because he was a senator in our state, someone who understands technology because that was her background before she came into the b b industry. And we kind of formed this little micro team within the organization, within the staff and the volunteers to really tackle this issue. Issue that was going to massively affect the entire industry. It worked out pretty well, I would say, for us in Virginia. We were able to come up with legislation that the current B owners thought that was fair, that the Airbnbers of the world or the VRBOers, however you want to call them, thought was fair, and that the cities and counties and states could actually implement. And I think that's one thing, too, that we find like we have these big dreams and these big ideas, and then it's like, how do you actually implement or how do you even enforce this? Or how do you even do this? And so I think it took a few years to do. So it was a long-term commitment. When you think of if you tailor it micro-volunteering, usually that's just a short little task, right? And you're done. This was a little bit longer than that micro-volunteering concept, but still utilizing the strengths of who's in your association and who can kind of come and lead that charge More recently, I've been working with an organization that is education focused. So basically they're teaching teachers how to teach economics and personal finance to students in the classroom. And with the pandemic hitting, it's no longer teachers teaching students, it's parents teaching students. Kids are at home learning and the parents are having to sit there and help them with their homework and help them do their math and social studies. Well, what happens when it comes to their personal finance and econ classes? The vision for this organization is really to make sure that every citizen in Virginia is financially illiterate. Well, then- Doesn't that include parents like the parents can help, too, because they've just been focusing on the teachers for 50 years. We just celebrated their 50th anniversary this year. And so now we're really focusing on is this going to be a long term or short term thing for the organization and putting out training for parents In the form of webinars or Zoom meetings that I love to call support groups, because that's basically what it ends up being is providing that support to the parents so they can go back and talk to their kid about investing in the stock market and how to do that or saving for college and what it means to have a mortgage and an interest rate. And so um, empowering, we're empowering teachers, and that's what we've been doing for 50 years. But now we're also empowering parents to teach these lessons to their children. And so I think the interesting conversation now that we're having, is this a long-term or short-term project? We feel like we've been able to reach the parents through our teachers, and they've been able to communicate about these webinars and offerings. But really, is this going to be long-term? Is the parents going to be a new subset of our focus, or do we go back and focus on the teachers? once we can teach live in person again and do what we were doing before the pandemic.
0: <laughs> so in both of the examples that you've given, it seems like there was a special need that emerged and the association recognized that they needed to gather some people together to mm-hmm. work on that. A lot of organizations might think of those as working groups or committees yep. or something like that, but you really frame it around being a, a community within a community, a sub-community. So yeah. how do you see that as being different from like the traditional committee or working group? Is it?
1: So it it probably is very similar when you lay it out that way. And I think the reason why I say it's a community within the community is because it's still impacting what the mission, what the overall focus and how people are going to do business or do their jobs within that industry. But again, not taking the entire suck of the organization, the time and everything, but just a subset of that group to really focus on this one thing that's going to make that impact for the larger community, I think is why I call it communities within communities because again, like a focus group and everything along those lines, I feel like that's more task-oriented task driven. Mm -hmm. Um, and the micro volunteering, same thing where it's like short, you know, short little task where there has to be strategy behind this. There has to almost be like a strategic plan behind this, like really looking at how this is going to impact and pivot and shift have been two of the most popular words lately in the association space and the world. How is this
0: going to pivot or shift their vision and mission? So what do you think the value is for an organization to put this kind of strategic thinking around their sub-communities or their working groups or whatever they choose to call it? What's Mm -hmm. the value for like really putting some strategy behind it? Yeah. So
1: we talk about in the for-profit space, meeting your customers where they're at. I think this is a similar thing, meeting the members where they're at and where they need to be. Where do they need to be going forward? What do they need to be looking towards going forward? And making sure that this is going to be a positive, this is going to be a win. We're always looking for those things that we can share from the rooftops as association professionals that we made this positive impact in the industries that we're representing. And so I think When you are going after something like this, making sure that you can turn it into that wind and that there, I don't want to say it's going to be an easy win and that's why you should do it because these are pretty heavy lifts, but do make sure that it's not just kind of this random one-off thing. And that brings me to the next thing is, does it fall underneath your mission? And with the Ben Breck Association, it did because definitely it was, you know, lobby, advocate advocating for the business owner and making sure that regulation was fair. And on the education side, you know, again, their, their vision mission is really to make sure that every citizen in Virginia is financially literate. And so whoever wrote that years ago and didn't pinpoint it to only serving supporting teachers or whatever they've been doing for the last 50 years, I I don't know who wrote it, but I want to be thank you so much because we can then help these parents with their kids, with whatever they're working with. And so I think, again, going back to these need strategies, they need action plans behind them in order for them to become that win for the organization.
0: So how would an organization know if these sorts of sub-community opportunities exist? Like, how do you keep your finger on the pulse of that?
1: I do think it needs to be member-driven, and so having those boots on the ground who are going to come and say to you but not be those people who are going to micromanage you right we always we always have those members that are like too deep into the organization you're like leave me alone it doesn't matter when the newsletter is going out get out of my inbox right but um making sure that it is something that is member driven and i would say too like When you have this conversation as a team at your organization or with your board, is it going to make that bigger impact that is a larger industry-wide thing and not just like, oh, something that's going to fall underneath the policy team or the education and events programming? And one thing that... I'm going through right now with the education organization and that I also did with the Bed and Breakfast Association before we went down this path of tackling this, was we did a quick program impact matrix. So we could see where if we had a program that was kind of floundering, that wasn't really doing so hot, wasn't bringing us money, wasn't matching our mission, and was kind of one of those sacred cows, we all have those, Um, (laughs) could we flip it? And say, all right, you know, we're going to stop doing this for right now because it's not really working out great because we do have this immediate need. We do have this thing that we need to put our focus to. Here's the team of staff. Here's the team of volunteers that we're really going to do this. And having that program impact matrix to back you up as an organization because you know someone's going to call you and be like, why did you get rid of my favorite book or whatever it may be? You could say, you know, we're back burning it right now because there's this really hot topic issue and then go from there. But really having, the, again, that strategic conversation as a team, as a board, as a whoever you're with and looking at already the impacts that you're making with what you're doing and can you swap this for something else to make that higher impact and then go back and visit that something you swapped out later. And who knows, maybe that something might go away. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, managing projects like this or communities like this can be very labor intensive. So do you have some tips on, you know, how to manage projects like this so they don't completely take on a life of their
1: own? Right. I think it does take someone who does have that skill set to manage a larger project, who can understand the strategic part of it, but then also those weedy kind of tasks and know that... You have to do it as a group. You can't have someone who's going to be like, oh, this is my project. I'm taking this all on myself. And so I think the collaboration piece is really key. So I guess someone who can delegate is really kind of key. To be your leader of this thing but then i could also see where setting a timeline to it and that is the one thing that we've done with the education organization that we didn't necessarily do at the bed and breakfast we didn't know how long it was going to take to get legislation passed in order to make this work for us and so we didn't set a timeline to it and i actually lost quite a few volunteers about a year and a half into the three years And so it was hard because I had to go find those new subject matter experts to replace those who were already doing the work. Once we found them, we were able to get the ball rolling. But as a staff person, I had to know my members in order to know who to reach out to. And I had to reach out to like my regional leaders to say, hey, guys, I need this. Do you know somebody? Who do you know who is always a great question to ask. And so I think that's what I would recommend is making sure whoever is kind of the lead of this, making sure that they can manage a big project, delegate, make sure that everybody is actually involved in collaborating, but then also making sure that you have that timeframe. And I think with the education organization, we're looking at, we want to really have a, yes, this is going to be part of our every year thing going forward decision by April or May. And, And then we can really start, they go July to June as their year so that we can really start their next year with this as being an initiative and we've done the program impact matrix we already know what we're going to back burner and we're actually going to throw something completely off the grid and not do it anymore. So I think they're moving along pretty well to adopt this as something that they could be doing and exploring for the next 50 years of the organization.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Amy, I really like how, you know, you have You've elevated this from just being a a committee or a project team that's working on something. And I think the whole frame around it being a special purpose community gives it a little more oomph. Like it, it elevates it to a point where, as membership leaders, we're always thinking about like, how do we foster our community? How do we advance our goals? How do we grow this thing? And I think having that same sort of attitude with respect to these smaller communities within a community can make a big difference. So I really like that frame.
1: Yeah. And I think that's probably what makes this a little different than like you said, a focus group or the micro volunteering concept. Like it is, it's kind of that next level up, but maybe not like full-time board member or president or chair or something like that. Right. (laughs)
0: So if a listener hears today's conversation and they want to connect with you around this, what's the best way for them to do that? I would
1: say if you're on LinkedIn or Facebook, I basically live there. And so, which is how I met Joy actually, was through Facebook conversation. And so, yeah, just go ahead and look me up, Amy Hager on LinkedIn. It's Amy Hager, C-A-E-I-O-M, duly certified. If anybody has any questions about getting their certification, happy to help you there too. (laughs)
0: Awesome, Amy. Thanks so much. I'll make sure we get links in the show notes for you.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for having me today. It was so much fun.
0: Absolutely. Um, Take care. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hey, Joy here back to share just a few thoughts on this week's episode. So many of the organizations that I have featured in my first few months of hosting this podcast have talked about strategies that they needed to put into place to be able to serve members through this unexpected time of change. I have consistently been encouraged that in these difficult times, it really feels like people need their communities and their industry advocates more than ever. To me, there are four possible responses to a major disruption, and I've seen these four options play out as organizations have been telling their stories. Option one is the classic pivot, A pivot becomes necessary when you look at what you've been doing and you realize this is not going to work at all. And you know that you absolutely must move in a different direction. Survival depends on it. Option two is a power up. In this situation, an organization goes all in on something that has already shown a glimmer of possibility. It's about seeing what's most likely to work, and investing your time and energy there. Option three is to prune. Pruning is admittedly painful. It's the act of cutting back. Sometimes this is a cutting back of programs. Sometimes it's a cutting back of staff. These can feel like significant losses, but the goal is to trim back enough to encourage future growth to be stronger, just as you'd prune back a tree to improve the tree's overall health to reshape it around obstacles or to save the tree from catastrophic damage option 4 is to preserve when you preserve you're looking at what's actually most important uncertain times gives us an opportunity to reassess why are we here who do we serve what is most needed from us right now in this moment. Any of these four actions can help you spin a painful disruption into something that could actually be positive for members. It may not feel like it at the time and it requires difficult decisions, but ultimately the work that you put in is worth it. If creating an exceptional member experience is something that you believe is important, I invite you to check out the Member Experience Makeover, my signature program for understanding what value is and how you can deliver it. This program is specifically for those of you who are running associations, trade groups, or membership-based nonprofits, and you really wanna connect with what members want and need from you in every step of their journey with your organization. During this program, which you can take at your own pace, I guide you through a deep assessment of what's currently happening in your membership, and we plan exactly what needs to happen in order to fill those growth gaps and build on strengths. You can see all the details about the program at joyofmembership.com slash makeover. And there's even a little gadget there on that page to submit any questions you might have about whether the program is a perfect fit for you, for a team member, or maybe even a board member. Check it out. And I hope to see you in there real soon. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you, That there's a free one page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey. So you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less than $1,000 per year. So if you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech, joyofmembership.com slash tech, T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.